Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. This is Dr. Casey Patrick, and joining me today is my medical director, Rob Dixon. Hey, good morning, Casey. And today we're going to do a little myth busting. We like to bust myths here on the podcast at times. And today we're not going to dive into the clinical realm. We're going to talk more about some medical director myths that we feel exist here at MCHD. And where did this idea come from? Really, these are sort of things that we bat back and forth here in the office that we've heard repeated both in the field, in educational sessions, um, CE, spots like that. And sometimes we both just look at each other and shake our head because many of these things we feel like we've addressed before. Now, again, perception's reality. So I know the listeners out there may be saying, no, you didn't. And, you know, that's what you think, but we've never heard this. So this is our opportunity to try and clear the air. Fair enough. Yeah, we keep saying, you know, fake news, it's fake news, but it must be real to someone because there are a lot of medical director myths out there. So we are going to take this time for our MCHD listeners out there, especially to clear the air. And and realistically, these are probably issues, if you're a non-MCHD listener, that you have within your service. These are really uh, overarching general EMS topics that have probably come up. You've probably talked about whether you're a new medic, whether you're a seasoned medic, whether you're a a fellow medical director, an administrator, whatever level you're at. Before we go start our list of of medical director myths, and we're going to label this part one because we may come up with a a second or third addition to this list, probably a good idea for us to explain a little bit about our service structure so you can understand where some of these are coming from to the non-MCHD listeners. So explain the nuts and bolts, sort of the scaffolding and framework of our service. Right. Thanks, Casey. So At MCHD, we have tiered levels of responsibility and accountability uh, on the individual truck and throughout the service. And it starts an entry-level position, which is a paramedic position of a paramedic attendant, which is the the newest member to the team on the truck. Um, Then on each truck, there's an in-charge paramedic. So that paramedic is ultimately responsible for every bit of care that's delivered to our patients and is responsible for mentoring along the attendant paramedics or the newer paramedics to the uh, in-charge role. The next level would be the captain level, and these are our, our uh, members that are um, responsible for training uh, and evaluating a lot of our folks that are advancing through the system from attendant to in-charge paramedic and responsible for the operational organization of their stations. Uh, Next is the district chief level, deputy chief level, and then assistant chief level, which are all clinically uh, the same authorizations. Uh, So it's kind of a tiered movement through our system here. And then just to zoom out even more, we are a third service EMS. We do all the 911 transport in Montgomery County. Uh, We our medical direction has umbrella over you know, 13 first responder fire organizations, but we are separate from fire here at MCHD. Again, dual paramedic trucks. So, um, which leads us in to myth number one. Uh, myth number one is, quote, attendants can't take critical calls, unquote. And as 
Dr. Dixon stated in his sort of intro there, the buck stops where? On the individual call, I should say. Uh, the in-charge level. So the buck the stops. is in charge of the truck. With, with the in-charge. Now, where does the buck ultimately stop, though? Really, it's in this room right here. So, so in <laughs> the us. end, in the end, it extends to us. So we we will take our share of the responsibility as well. As well, we're not trying to to dump everything on the in charge, but the buck stops with the in charge. So, can an attendant take a critical call? The answer is no. If you don't complete the sentence, right? And this one's led to tons of confusion, and probably has hindered the progression of medics as they want to progress from attendant to in charge. And in a vacuum, it's true, right? But again, completing the sentence, attendants can't take critical calls without proper communication, support, backup planning, verbalization, and synergy with the in-charge on their truck. So the in-charge has to know the attendant. Right, a comfort level. The in-charge has to have a comfort level with the attendant uh, that they're going to carry out the plane as discussed and that the attendant has is made the in-charge believe that they understand what's going on in the call and that they have a cohesive plan for patient care going forward. So is it an attendant going to take a critical call on day one? Likely not. No, it's going to take some time to develop rapport, to develop trust, uh, to discuss medicine, to know how you mesh together as a team, which brings us to, well, how is the attendant going to function in the back of the truck alone? Well, where does the majority of the care take place? In the house in the back of the truck. So most of that, I would argue, is supervised care anyway, right? The attendant can be the lead on that portion of the call, which is the vast majority of sorting out the chief complaint, coming up with a differential and coming up with a plan of of therapy for the most likely of the diagnoses and the differential. And you can do that all. We're all standing in the same room. If it's not a trauma call and a load and go, or a time-sensitive emergency where we're really hoofing it to get off scene, we have time to do that in the house. And most of that care in this service is done in the house or in the back of the truck. And again, in the back of the truck before we leave scene, right? So that alone time realistically is a small fraction of the actual decision-making and true patient care engagement, really. So what does that require you to do as an in-charge? If you're an MCHD in-charge listener out there, it requires you to support your attendant, to know them, to collaborate with them, to mentor them, to just, you know, discuss medicine. As a bit of an introvert, I always was resistant to the idea of your, you know, you have a responsibility to mentor. Well, I don't always want to mentor. Some days I want to go to work. I don't want to say much. I want to do my job. There's nothing wrong with that. Why do I have to mentor? And everybody takes different roles and different shades, different pathways to being a mentor. Not everybody can be gregarious and can be, you know, a commanding speaker or live with a party, right? Some people are quiet leaders. And realistically, it just takes some pocket scripts, right? What, what could go wrong here? What's the, where's, the, where's the biggest downfall you see coming? Uh, give me a differential. Uh, what, what is, you know, where, where could we troubleshoot this or where could you see this going bad? Or even just walk me through when we're sitting in the station, walk me through some procedures. Let's, let's do some uh, repetition on uh, mental reps of needle thoracostomy, or let's talk through the rule of 15. So realistically, it's, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. You don't have to be a, a world renowned lecturer or uh, some, 
you know, politician to be, to be a mentor, you can, you can lead by example. And it really just takes some, some simple steps. And once you support your attendant, you know them, you collaborate with them and you agree on a plan during transport before you've left scene and you discuss those plan B scenarios where things could go wrong, then absolutely the attendant can ride and take that, that critical call. Now, if it's a angioedema with the tongue swollen out of the mouth eight inches and the patient with audible strider and in need of a crike, is that a call for an attendant? No, that's when you want your most experienced provider. At the end of the day, we always need to approach this as what is best for our individual patients, not for us, not for our ego, not for any other reason, but to focus on what's the best for the patient. And I think clearly there, the most experienced provider is the person that should do that, Craig, which would be our in-charge paramedic. So let me give you another scenario. I've got a 48-year-old that calls with chest pain, history of hypertension. I'm going to break my own rule here and say vital signs stable, normal vital signs, nothing out of the ordinary. And we've got ST elevation in 2, 3, and F with some reciprocal change in 1 and L. Give some aspirin, give some fentanyl on scene. The patient's pain-free, sitting up on the gurney, talking, ready to be loaded. Is that a patient that an attendant could take with trust and planning? With trust, planning, and a plan, a plan B and C, absolutely that's a patient that the attendant can take. And what would that what would that planning be? I'll, I'll just role play it out for you. What could go wrong here? And I would want my attendant to say, well, it looks like it's an inferior distribution MI, and that can potentially cause some bradycardia, can potentially cause some hypotension, right side if affected, conduction system affected. Maybe we need to put the pads on. If the patient brady's down, maybe we need to consider atropine and pacing. Probably want to avoid nitrates if the blood pressure's iffy. Uh, those are those are the ways I could see this going bad. And if you verbalize that back and forth before you pull out, number one, both people are on the same page. You know where you're going to go if you take a wrong turn. And if you need to pull off the road, you can pull off the road, right? But that's a situation where that's a critical patient. But I would be comfortable. I'm hope I'm not putting you too much on the spot. I think you would be comfortable with our attendant with all those support, collaboration, discussion, trust in place could take. No, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more, Casey. So let's roll into medical director myth busting number two. And this is one that I've personally experienced a little more in the last couple of weeks because I've actually gotten out in the field, which has been quite refreshing and amazing and uh, COVID stuck us all in the office, I feel like. Um, and that is, quote, I must be in trouble when the medical director comes around, unquote. And I feel like when I walked in all the stations, I got the look like, oh, ooh, ooh, what's he doing here? So yeah, take that one. Yeah, Chief Campbell and I uh, would go out in the mornings early and uh, go visit a station and have brews with our crews. So we had this little Tuesday morning thing that we would go out and we'd pitch up early and make the coffee. And we had a bunch of very strange looks from people, sleepy-eyed, walking into the kitchen. They see the medical director and the chief of the service sitting at the coffee table. Uh, we got a lot of strange looks, but I assure you, uh, none of us, neither of us carry tasers or machetes. Um, you know, both of us, as Dr. Patrick said, that's why we do this job. We love uh, taking care of patients. We love being in the field. Uh, I love being out there 
uh, seeing the fruits of our labors here um, and seeing our people do really well taking care of our patients. It's actually the most enjoyable part of either one of our days. So seeing and talking medicine with you guys really is the best part of my day. Um, it's why we're here. Uh, and as far as from, from your standpoint, I get it, right? The boss is there. It's anxiety-provoking. Uh, that the doctor is standing there while you're trying to start the IV in the patient or you're doing the differential or you're uh, dealing with a family member. But at the end of the day, for our own professional development, what is part of our episode of care is transitioning that care from the field, medic in the field to a emergency physician, i.e. both of us. So, I mean, this is part of our everyday work that we do. So it's really, to me, no different than when you're communicating and talking about a case with an emergency physician in the in the hospital. You know, that's just like talking medicine uh, with Casey and I and, and walking through a case. So just know that when you see the medical director out there, uh, this one's a big one. You know, I mean, I, I love that part of our job. Uh, and I think that most medical directors, actually all the medical directors I know, uh, really enjoy that. So uh, don't get freaked out if the medical director shows up. It's not always a bad thing. Usually it's, you know, to talk medicine. Yeah, we join a biweekly or so COVID Texas EMS medical directors call and it's Zoom like everything else in this world. And admittedly, when I'm sitting in your office or we're in the war room or some some enclosed space here in the central administration building and I see the other medical directors in their response vehicles and uh, out actually taking care of patients, it does make me quite jealous. So just know when you see us, I'll reiterate, it's, it's the best part of our day. That's why, why we do this job. It's not to sit in the office and deal with HR and and employee strife and put together PowerPoint slides. That's all part of it, but it's not, it's not the most fun for me for sure. And that really rolls us into number three, which is one that we've probably talked about the most and admittedly, I would say struggled with the most and tried to really be as fair and open and honest as we can be. This is one that comes up repeatedly has come up really in, in the four plus years that I've been here continues to rear its ugly head and is why I feel like it's worth addressing. And that is, quote, I can't be fired for a clinical mistake, parentheses, S, mistakes, unquote. So let's talk a little bit about that last word, mistake, and how that singular or plural comes into play and how that really affects how we take that sentence. So take this one because I know that this is one that we've, we've beat this horse till it's dead and it revives itself. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is something that we start early. Casey and I talk to every new employee class that comes through MCHD. And I think that we, I know we have brought this up in uh, the five and six years that we've both been here uh, with every class. And you, at the end of the day, can you be fired for poor clinical performance that does not remediate after multiple of these same mistakes and you don't remediate, you absolutely can. But will you be fired for a sin single clinical error? And the answer to that is no, right? Thank I mean, goodness. Or yeah. I would I would have been a long time ago. Right. This is this is not an exact science out here. And the the idea that you are going to come into this very austere environment and practice medicine and never make a mistake is not rational, 
right? We all make mistakes, as Dr. Patrick said. That's how we learn. That's how we become better clinicians. Our expectation of our own medics and really as a profession is that internally we look at the errors that we've made and we use that to not only make changes in our own practice for the benefit of our patients, but to share that knowledge with other people, other colleagues, so that they don't make that same mistake. That's what's important about it. Yeah, I would agree and echo that 100%. And I circle back to the idea of perfectionism. And perfectionism is a, you know, it's a lonely path to take. It's fruitless. You're not going to reach it. You know, you're going to alienate folks along the way. And realistically, your goal should not be perfectionism. It should be personal growth. And how do you grow personally and professionally? You grow by self-reflection. You grow by having insight and you look at your weak spots and you, you know, the rough spots, the, the jagged edges, and you sand those down. And how do we sand those down in the, in the world of clinical mistakes? You come into the run review with the medical directors. You have a good attitude. You listen. You walk out of there with a plan to check out some podcasts, blogs, websites, even textbooks, us old folks that still read on the papyrus. Um, you know, you go and you, you learn about those things that you struggle with, and then you become a stronger provider. And to take that a step further, just like you said, then you take it to your attendants, if you're an in-charge, or your in-charges and your attendants, if you're a captain, and you teach them. And then it spreads. You know, it's almost like It's almost like wildfire. And then that becomes really turning a negative into a positive, which can be a bit cliche, but you made a clinical stake. We all make them. You strengthen yourself and then you strengthen the service by walking out and spreading that knowledge. What about, you know, what about errors of the heart versus errors of the mind? That's a little, little caveat. This is, this is kind of an old, one of the isms that, that I learned a long time ago in another career that, there's mistakes of the, of the mind and mistakes of the heart. And Dr. Patrick and I can work with a mistake of the mind. We all make them. Those are the other group we're talking about. Uh, but what we can't deal with is a bad heart. And that kind of takes me into some of the other things, Casey L. Steele and Ed Rock uh, talked that I heard him give years ago, which is the deadly sins in EMS. What are those deadly sins in EMS? Lying. Yeah. Don't, right. don't lie. Don't. Uh, Fraud. Yeah. Don't mm. lie on the charts. Don't lie to your patients. Don't lie to us. Uh, you know, we expect the truth. We give the truth back. Uh, and that has to be a base expectation uh, for all of us in the service, not just not just, uh, you know, the attendants and the in charges, but uh, through the entire leadership, yeah. including the medical directors, is that we don't lie to one another. We're honest and forthright about uh, our in our interactions with people. Yeah, and you know, there's some there's some extensions in the world today. You know, empathy towards our patients. Um, you know, with social media and and some of uh, you know the constant information flows that exist. You really have to watch the things that you post. You know, we're not going to tolerate um, you know bigotry and racism and sexism and those sort of things. You got to treat people kindly. You got to treat people like like they're your family. So those sort of things are can, can definitely be be deal breakers. Back to the clinical mistake realm, you know, not only do we expect you to grow, on our end, we pride ourselves, I think, and if we don't do this, we 
want you to let us know and we hold ourselves to the expectation that you're going to get every opportunity for remediation and for retraining and trying to meet you where your strengths and where your weaknesses are and whether that's, you know, in session discussions, whether that's skills training labs, whether that's, you know, here's some websites and here's some, some review articles or here's some podcasts. You know, we're going to try to personalize that and tailor that to your needs the best that we can. That's, that's, our, that's part of our job too. And I would say, in the, in, and I'll speak for the entire clinical department, um, uh, here at MCHD and really every clinical department, our job 100% is the medical directors and the clinical department and oversight, the clinical chief and everybody from education and all the clinical specialists and support is to support you in our number one job, which is taking care of our patients. Number one, first and foremost, our job is to support you in carrying out our primary mission. So it leads us into the bottom line, and that's really bullet point one, is the entire goal, the entire foundation, the focus of all of these is patient care. And it all boils down to how do we care for the patient? Did we do the right thing for the patient? Did we enter into the differential and the treatment plan and the procedural plan with the patient's best interest at heart? And if the answer is yes, we can work from there every single time. Uh, we love to talk medicine with each of you. That's, that's why we decided to do this job. Much more than meetings, much more than Zoom calls. Uh, I'd rather be talking with medicine, taking care of patients with y'all in the field, and which leads to we're invested in your success. If, if you're not successful, it's a reflection on us. And if you need more from us to be successful, we have an open-door policy. That's, you know, open email policy, open... Uh, Open phone line policy. Text message. Yeah, yeah text. It's millennial. Everybody's millennial, so it's text. And, you know, Dr. Patrick can text back a lot quicker than I can. But, uh, I, I'm st I can still text. I know I, how to do it. We, we race each other on the uh, <laughs> on some of our consult uh, texts. Our, and, our Pulsera consults, yeah. And I will say that I've been losing <laughs> recently, so I'm feeling a bit a bit uh, down in the dump, so I've got to pick up the speed. And, you know, finally, again, if you need us and you have questions, concerns, you know, our office doors and email boxes are open. Hopefully, if you're a listener out there, you have the same access to your leadership. Uh, we, it's, it's how you build, um, you know, a solid agency and a, a solid two-way street of communication. Anything you want to add before we close up? No, I'm just really glad for this topic. I, I think it's, uh, it's something that, that needs to get out there, not only be in hear it directly from the medical directors, not only in our service, but a lot of services. So a great topic and good discussion. As always, this is part one. We'll see if part two comes around. If any of the listeners out there have other, maybe divisive, maybe is this, is this not type topics out there that you want us to address, feel free to shoot us a text or an email, podcast at mchd-tx.org. Leave us a like or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to everybody again soon. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, and Competech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.